aliens, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans and fatherless, our mothers like widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us, and there is none to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been ravished in Zion and virgins in the town of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it. You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Oh, sorry. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Good evening, everyone. My name's Owen, and I'll just uh, pray before we preach. Lord, this please prepare our hearts and minds for what you have ready to say to us tonight. And Lord, let's pray you be able to help me to accurately and clearly present your word. Amen. Do you know what's really hard? When life is tough and you know, you've got up on the wrong side of the bed and nothing is going to plan. It's like searching for a job and no one wants to take you on. Or maybe... You know, no one just wants to give you a chance. You've put yourself out there for a guy or girl and they're just not interested. Or you've got a loved one who's seriously ill, close to dying. Not great things, are they? And they're not something we want when we roll out of bed in the morning and start our day. And when these things happen, we really do question, don't we? What, what hope is there? Why continue in life when it gets tough, when it gets hard? Why roll out of bed in the morning? You know, but as bad as these things are, and they really are when they happen, there's something far worse, isn't there? And it's when God turns his back on you. The one who is our refuge, our support, our hope, our life, for him to turn our back on us, I don't think anything could be worse than that. So what would you do when hope is gone? When even things you thought would come through, fall through? When this would have been easier to stay in bed? This is what it's like for the Israelites. But it's even worse. Getting out of the right side of the bed doesn't help. Nothing is going to plan. Just imagine you are the Israelites. You've heard the good stories from generations back 
how good it used to be when King David was king and then his son Solomon. You know, there was peace in the promised land. They were blessed with so much gold and silver that they actually lost count of their wealth. Royalty from other kingdoms used to come, like the Queen of Sheba, that travelled just to hear King Solomon speak. This nation had grown, it was truly blessed, it was a pinnacle, the good old days. But now we see the complete opposite in Lamentations 5. Remember how during the time of David, it appeared that all of God's promises came true. The kingdom of God was on earth. There was God's people, the Israelites, and God's place under God's rule. You know, they were once the people of God, his subjects bowing only to God's rule and to the kings of his choosing. Now they are under the rule of a foreign nation. The fertile land, the promised land that they were once blessed with, isn't theirs anymore. The blessing they received, the land, the gold and silver, peace and prosperity, that's all turned to curses. It seemed like all hope was lost. In the mind and the heart of an Israelite, it it appeared that God had turned his back. And that's what we see here in Lamentations. If you've got your Bible open, please open to Lamentations 5. The first thing we see in the passage is the people's lament over losing their land. In verse 1, Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. This is the same land that was promised to the forefathers of the Israelites. In Exodus 33, verse 1, God says to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So now it's gone, and it's been taken over by the Babylonians, the enemy. It appeared that God had turned back on his promise. This land was promised to their family, their forefathers. They have now experienced the despair of losing the inheritance. The promised land on their watch. It's a bit like seeing your father work hard at the family business. You'd seen the hours and the years spent in developing and growing it. And it's the same for his father and his father before that. Now it's your turn. It's your time to grow that history and to continue on the inheritance to take the reins and make your family proud. Can you imagine the shame and despair of going bankrupt, of being the one to close the legacy, of telling your father that the lifetime he has put into this business is wasted, it's gone. This is what it's like for the Israelites. But it gets worse. The second thing we see is the people lament over not just their loss of land, but their people, the men of the land of Gorn. In verse 3, the Israelites cry out, We have become fatherless, our mothers are widows. The previous battles and the hard labour have taken their toll on their community. Children without fathers, mothers are without husbands. The family unit isn't anymore. Imagine a society like that. In Russia after World War II, of the 29 million people who died, the majority were men. That's 6 million more than currently live in Australia. 
of the five people nearest to you, one of you would have died. If you were a male, you were more likely. Each person in Russia would have lost a brother, a father, uncle or son. This is what it's like for the Israelites, a nation where many of the men are no more, where those people remaining were still in mourning from the loss of those significant to them. The third thing we see is that the people lament over their loss of blessings from God. They've got a lack of men, they've lost their land, a valuable fertile piece of land that's still fought over to this day. It was full of blessings, flowing with milk and honey. So now they're in a different place, experiencing the complete opposite. In verse 4, the Israelites say, we must buy the water we drink and wood can only be had at the price. So they need water to drink, they need wood to keep warm and they need wood to cook with. They're not luxury items, they're the bare essentials. The Israelites are practically paying to stay alive. This isn't all, they continue to go hardship, undergo hardship, pain and despair. They really couldn't be further from being the blessed nation they were meant to be. In verse 11, the women are raped. Women have been violated in Zion. What's more, and they're virgins in the town of Judah, what's more is that these are happening in God's holy cities, these despicable acts. The cities we have heard the promises about, um, cities where we feel safe and feel God's rule as was established through kings like David, who we learned about last week. So, these blessings are no more. So, does that mean that God has turned from his promises? Next we see the princes, the promising generation, the, the future leaders of the community, they've been hung and killed. The existing elders, the stability of the years gone by, they're ignored. Verse 12, princes have been hung up by their hands. The elders have shown no respect. It's not just the old, it's the young as well. The boys in Israelite culture are under 12 years of age. In verse 13 we see primary school students being put to work. Young men toil at the millstones, boys stagger under loads of wood. This isn't a five minute job like putting out the rubbish. They work until they're exhausted. Another impact on the lack of fathers. But sometimes in life, you know, when things are tough, there's a bit of relief. There's nothing better than a nice cup of tea at the end of the day. Or maybe you've had a really good run in traffic. Or even just that great song that comes on the radio. But for the Israelites, there is no relief. Even the young men have stopped their music. Could you imagine a life without music? No jingles, no whistling, no iPods. Wouldn't have this band. Chris wouldn't be doing any moves. This is what it's like. This is what it's like for the Israelites. Albert Schweitzer says, the only escape from the miseries of life are music and cats. The German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, said, without music... Life is a mistake. For the Israelites, you know, they were meant to be God's people living in the promised land, 
enjoying God's blessing, growing as a nation, not shrinking under the attack of the enemy. There seemed to be no way to escape their present misery. As we see in verse 15, there's no joy, no dancing. How often do you have a day with no joy? Did someone give you a smile? Was there just happened to be no line at the supermarket checkout? Did you get paid to work? We have so much to be joyful about. Israelites? No. So, can we blame them? You know, they've got all these reasons to lament from a nation that had it so good when Israel was at its peak, when David was king. Now they're at the very bottom of the pit, at the wrong side of it. So, what's going on here? Has God found someone else to be his people? Has he just gone, Israelites, that's it, I'm giving you the flick? Has God broken the promise he gave to them? Well, if we recall what God said, it wasn't actually God who broke the promises, but it was with Israel. It's Israel who broke the promises. The problem was with them. When God made them his treasured possession, they were to live like they were God's treasured possession. He says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. But Israel didn't. Even after all that God did, they failed to fully keep God's covenant. And they got what they asked for. Like when I was a kid, my mother used to ask again and again for us all to sit up for dinner. Mum had slaved away in the kitchen and she's made a really nice meal. The least we could do was to sit together as a family and enjoy the blessing of the food and each other's company. God had blessed the Israelites so much. He had saved them from Egypt. Surely the least the Israelites could do was to be God's people. As time progresses, the nations of the Israelites turn away from God. We see God pleading with them to return to him. So they will remain God's people, living in God's place, under God's rule. He warns the Israelites in Jeremiah chapter 17 that they will be cursed if they turn away from him. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 25, the Israelites are warned that if they don't turn back to him, they will lose their land. And though the Lord had sent his, all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again. You have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices and you can stay in the land the Lord gave you, you and your ancestors forever and ever. But we know what happens next, don't we? The Israelites don't take heed to any of God's warnings. God is pleading them to return to him And he's warning them of the consequences, just like my mum used to say, come sit up on the table or otherwise you'll go hungry. The Israelites are in despair. 
the warning God gave them has come true. They're not living in the promised land. They're no longer a blessed nation. They cry out to God because they're no longer sure that they are his people. Verse 20, we hear their cry. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? The Israelites plead with God. They're asking for him to restore them back to the good old days and not to reject them. In verse 21 we see this. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return when you are days of old unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry beyond all measure. We can see that there is a reason for God to reject them. The Israelites have sinned. And if you asked him, they'd agree. Because in verse 16, they say, The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. And it's not just them, it's also their forefathers. Because in verse 7, Our ancestors have sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. So the Israelites broke their part of the agreement and turned away from God. God pleaded with them to come back. But they didn't. Now they're suffering the consequences they were warned about. It wasn't them, it wasn't God who turned away, but it was them. Now all the Israelites wanted was to be restored, to be back in the good old days when fuel was 60 cents a litre, when there used to be conductors on trams, and when you left work, it didn't follow you home on a mobile. We can see this in verse 21. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days of old. So the thing is, the Israelites knew the promises of God that that are given to Abraham. And they had some hope. They had enough hope to ask for what they once had. They wanted to be restored to the promised land, where they were truly blessed and could drink as much water as they want and collect as much wood as they want for free. They wanted to be God's people again. But the crazy, the crazy thing is that God has a bigger plan than the good old days. He's got a bigger plan for the Israelites, a bigger plan than they're imagining and pleading for. So let's quickly have a look at this. So we're looking at God's kingdom. We can be um, split up into three main parts, God's land, God's people and God's rule. So we're a few weeks into our um, 10-week series of the Bible Overview and we can see how God's plan has grown over time. From Genesis with Adam and Eve till now. And we can slowly see how God's plan has developed. So for the Israelites in Lamentation, in Lamentations, who are God's people? Well, it's still with the Israelites but it kind of seemed like God had disowned them. I guess you could say they're in God's sin bin rather than his treasure possession. And where's God's land? Well, it's still kind of exists, but the people aren't in it. They're in exile in Babylon under the authority of another nation. They have no land. And how does God show his rule and curses? But God has bigger plans than this, giving back their land. We can see this in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. God says, 
See, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So you can see this, this new stuff, this new heaven and earth, will be so good that this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, will just be a shadow. It will be forgotten. It appears that God has forgotten these people, that they left the fans themselves, but this isn't the case. God is extending his people, opening up the doors so that those who are not Israelites, not Jewish, can become his people. In Hosea chapter 2 we read that God will show mercy upon one who had not attained mercy and will say to them which were not his people, you are my people and they shall say, you are my God. You know, We are so fortunate to have this happen because without God extending the doors open to non-Israelites, to Gentiles, we wouldn't be able to experience God's saving grace. And God's rule. During the exile, the Israelites are ruled with curses. They're in pain, in despair. But this isn't God's long-term plan. In Isaiah Chapter 44, we read of a blessing and a mention of a really great blessing to come, the Holy Spirit. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, we read that a new king from the line of David, who we know today as Jesus, will come. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So, the Israelites are at a time of lament and despair. But it was also a time filled with hope, a hope of these great things. Because God, through his prophets, not only pursued them, but promised ever greater things than the good old days. The Israelites are sitting here asking, can I please have a pet goldfish? Right? And God is saying, I'm going to give you a horse. And not there's any horse, but Farlap. <laughs> so God has given them a picture of the prophesied kingdom, where instead of the promises of an inherited land, a multitude of offspring and great blessings filled in a really narrow way, as they had already experienced, it's getting expanded. So God's land becomes the new creation, the promise of heaven. His people have been extended to Gentiles as well. In God's rule, well, there's going to be a new king with the Holy Spirit and a good lot of blessing. So, before the Israelites at this time, these promises are a little bit into the future. The reality is these guys didn't experience God's blessings. But they ended with hope. You can see their hope in the final verse. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. So, this future that they're hoping for, it's become our history. Because we're on the other side of the cross we've clearly seen how God has brought about his prophesied kingdom. 
and it's far greater than what the Israelites could have ever imagined. So when Jesus, God has brought about a people, which now includes Gentiles, who will live in God's place, heaven itself, under the full blessings of God, we get God's spirit. So despite how the Israelites had turned from God, God didn't turn away from his promises. He kept them, enlarged them, and filled them with his son. So, for us living on this side of the cross, what, what difference does that make? Well, when we can't find that job, when work isn't going well, when that girl or guy says, no, I'm not interested, when your loved one is sick, do you think that God had turned away from his promises? Should we think that God has turned away? No. No way. You see, this hope that Christians have, the knowledge that God fulfills his promises, does some funny things to Christians. Even in our despair, because of our great God, in the lowest moments of our lives, we can rest on the foundation of God's fulfilled promise. We can look back and we can see, we can see clearly what God has done through Christ. So, earlier this year, my, uh, my sister-in-law Zoe was in a boating accident. At the, at the time, Anna and I were holidaying in New Zealand and we made our way to Sydney not sure if we would see her again. We thank God that she did survive, but it did result in her losing the bottom half of her leg. So, how do you think she responded? Well, we might have expected to start thinking, has God turned away from me? Has God forgotten his promise to love me? Has God forsaken me to let such a tragic thing happen. Now, I'd expect any normal person to think like that. But, I'll tell you what Zoe did. In her injured state, with a group of people around her, she prayed and sung to, sung to God as she waited for this air ambulance to come. She sat there waiting And prayed to her God. Why would she do that? It could only be because of her faith. It's founded on God's promise. Already fulfilled. To this day she knows that God fulfills his promises. And doesn't forget. The accident was irreversible. It's a bit worse than just a wrong side out of bed day. And for all of us at a time it felt like the Israelites. There was sadness, there was pain. But her catch cry, and ours too, is that of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never fade would never perish, spoil or fade.
So these promises of God are our hope. They're our future when everything else seems bleak. Thanks God for his mercy towards us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for filling your promises. Thank you that our home is in heaven and that we are blessed with your spirit. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Help us to trust in him even when life is tough. Amen.